Hello and welcome um, to Teach Talk, uh, Teach Talk Radio. Um, let's start. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to Teacher Talk Radio. It's Caroline Keep this morning. Uh, a slightly more nervous Caroline Keep. I've got um, Ross McGill on this morning, commonly known as Teacher Toolkit. Probably one of the most popular and most well-known educators across the UK. Um, he has been said to be the most influential you know, teacher in Britain. And, um, we're going this to be is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, Caroline Keep. Um, this morning, we're going to be um, hoping everybody's having a great Sunday. It's about 9am, so it's an early start for me. We've got Teacher Toolkit this morning in, so I'm going to see if we've got Ross in early because then I'll be less nervous. Ross, are you there? Good morning, Caroline. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. You know what? I'll, probably lesser, I'll be less nervous if we just start talking. You know what? You kind of like this morning, obviously, because we've got quite an intensive show, we're going to talk a bit about your new book, The Guide to Memory. Um, but also me and Ross are going to be covering a little bit on um, safeguarding and child abuse. So I think both of us are a tad bit nervous. On. Yeah, I, I know it's, I very, uh, it's very early in the day as well. Which, yeah, <laughs> which, which surprise, uh, so. I think my, um, yeah, uh, starting at 9am is, and thank you so much for giving us your weekend, Ross. I appreciate this one. So um, let's give you, I'll do a little intro for you. Not that I need to, I don't think. I think everybody knows who Teacher Toolkit is. But um, if you don't, where have you been? Um, Ross McGill is, is known as Teacher Toolkit. He, he is probably the most influential teacher in Britain. Um, he's been a head teacher and a teacher for 27 years, is it, Ross? Um, yeah, it'll take a year or two. <laughs> yeah, and an author and a teacher. He's wrote pretty much all of the incredibly fundamental books that you, you want to be um, reading. Uh, and actually, you've worked in some of the most challenging schools in London as well. He frequently speaks at some of the conferences. I think you were at Education Fest this weekend, weren't you? I was, yeah. And um, you're a CEO of your own business and a governor, a PGC tutor, and you're doing an EDD at the University of Cambridge. That well, feels like a very long that, list there. That's debatable, the last one. But, um, oh, yeah, I'm trying, <laughs> I should say. I think both of us, I, I'm doing my PhD, aren't I? Which is why both of us kind of chat quite often. And to be honest, mm -hmm. I think it's quite intensive when you start doing that, especially when you're moving away from the classroom. It's like, oh, I look forward to my days in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. well, um, you know, obviously, well, some people might not know, you know, I, I left uh, full-time teaching uh, about five years ago. So, you know, the demands of teacher toolkit, I suppose, uh, it's taken to classrooms around the world. So, I feel uh, sad in one respect, but very blessed in another. 
Hmm. Yeah, and your new book, which is, I think, maybe, probably, normally I do the news, but what I'm going to do is probably get into a bit of it and then maybe do the news in the middle. Um, so yeah, sure. your new book, I read it this weekend or Thank I read it much. over this last week. And, well, I've got all of your books because, as Thank you know, I'm a big <laughs> fan. And, honestly, it was just, it's a cracking read, Ross. It's well, just such lovely. a great read. Um I've I've got a few questions about this. So, your, your new book's the guide to memory. It's just come yes. out, yes. and um, when I looked at it, one it seemed to just have a, a typical of 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 you, Ross. It had some great kind of examples and methods and models of how to to really improve education for young people by imp using that cognitive kind of science that we've we've been talking about. I think recently, and it had just some lovely little models of how to do it. So why why memory? We've had loads of talk on this recently in, in okay, education okay. learning, but why do you think it's so important? If you're new to this idea, then here's a really good baseline. Uh, for well, I think I said in the start of the book, it's more, more so a book about my journey with cognitive science. Um, as a blogger, you know, putting stuff out there and having lots of researchers and academics, you know, Twitter back in the day, 2006, mm long before uh you know the edgy twitter community today um putting out some ideas and having lots of people critique uh challenge the ideas etc and it, it essentially made me have to dig much deeper into academic ideas uh cognitive science you know cognitive dissonance etc etc so I, I went on quite a steep cpd learning curve through twitter and my blogs you know going back 10 plus years easily uh and then seeing how you know people like the learning scientists and all sorts of organizations like this and this is going back 10 years as well um started to share cognitive science alongside teaching strategies that were just bringing all this hard technical language uh, mm. to life for a teacher you know we call it retrieval practice but for decades we've called it revision as teachers so it's yeah. just fine-tuning our, our ways of working thinking and speaking i suppose to i believe raise the status of the profession make us a li little bit more um you know evidence informed evidence enriched that type of stuff and i wanted to put it into a book because i think ultimately when i trained to be a teacher in the early 90s um we a four-year bachelor degree. You remember those where you had yeah, to have yeah, a proper time to craft your trade and <laughs> yeah. teaching placement. And yeah. we looked at education history. I did a few design exhibitions for my design and technology degree. Mm. Studied all the different types of materials. You know, child development, child psychology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I look back and uh, we didn't really unpick parts of the brain and and what happens anatomically when we form a connection in our brain, which is a new memory. Mm. Um, and I found this quite interesting of late. So I suppose the last four or five years, I've started to blog a lot about memory. And then I guess uh, the education framework for Ofsted and the DfE policies mm. of late started to quote cognitive load theory and working memory. Mm. So I thought, oh, hang on here, you know, traveling to schools around the world, half the world doesn't know uh, you know, outside that Twitter bubble, you know, yeah. teachers are just getting on with their day-to-day -day stuff. And, and I guess that 
you know, the Twitter community a, a little bit ahead of the bell curve, I suppose, in some respects, but it's very much a bubble. Mm. Um, it was interesting to just see how policies shaping, because a lot of my doctoral research is looking at um, Ofsted policy in particular and sentiment analysis of language, etc. Mm. And this is a long answer, though, isn't it? Rather short one. I, I suppose I wanted to put it into a book, you know, my 15 years of blogging, my mm. teacher training going back 30 years. Why did I not learn this something specific? I think uh, it's um if I could start yeah, with what, I think it's the it's it strangely say that because like I trained in 2014 as you know and like it wasn't there when I trained and it was it was you know I didn't get anything on that which I thought coming from a, a science background and and I'll touch on this later you know having ADHD I always struggled to learn so I used to use a lot of the techniques that they use by the memory champions, you know, mnemonics yeah. and things like that to get through. So when I came into teaching, it was like, well, I'd have to chunk things up and like go over it because yeah, I mean, that's those how you learn. skills are essential. But, you know, for me, you know, rote learning, regurgitation, repetition, practice, rehearsal, um, mm. they're all the same thing. You have yeah. to repeat in order to strengthen your synapses. And, and, and that's an essential tool that teachers bring to life in the classroom. So, we do the chunking, the elaboration, the retrieval, mm. etc., uh, and and then teachers get all the resources together and use those methods. But the the book kind of unpicks those study skills, the research, and as you've read, the yeah. techniques you can use to help shape memory. Uh, so I that's loved, why I wrote it. <laughs> I loved the fact that it kind of broke down some of the scientific reasons for it, and you had a really great description on you know every part of the brain and how our synapses make memories and it was just really really good like that and I think when I looked at it I think you covered direct instruction and retrieval and spacing and interleaving all these words that we hear now um but when I looked at it you you covered it in such a way that it kind of broke it down into something that was really accessible because when you go to the scientific literature you look at it and it's it's really quite hard going yeah well I wanted um, to put a, a I always call it a beginner's guide so mm. you, the question asked throughout was right I'm looking at the brain I'm looking at the regions of the brain and what the what they're responsible for but how will this make me a better teacher was the question I kept asking asking myself as I was researching mm. and writing uh, so then I I, I kind of uh, aligned different study techniques to each of the chapters as we went through the history, the, the kind of ana, uh, anatomical regions, and then the study skills. And uh, I, I guess it's a whistle-stop tour, you know, turning that theory into practice and using all my training techniques and all my online analytics to make it an accessible book for teachers who don't have a lot of time. Mm, yeah, we don't. I think that's the one thing that really frustrates me, which is why I like your books, because it just breaks it down so you, you can access that research without you know spending hours and hours and hours trying yeah. to go over every single part of it um i said about my itt and it, it wasn't there then and i, I think I, I said to you it wasn't very fashionable back then i i'd try and do something it wasn't it wasn't very fashionable to do mnemonics then everybody was in carousels then and it was frustrating and um do you, one of the chapters you cover a bit on direct instruction and some of the myths that are in the uh you know how do you think we dispel the myths on because they seem to persist don't they you know how do you think you get rid of some of the myths of how we learn and move to a bit more of a research informed profession yeah well that's a tough one because i think you know it, uh, teaching is a very 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 small community compared to the the world at large and mm. 
if you think of your parents or you know people you know the taxi drivers i meet on my travels as a visit that lots of different schools are question i always ask you know rather than talk about the weather it's um i'm off to this school can you take me there and what were you like at school and and what were your memories and uh every taxi driver's got a different story um the majority, mm. I suppose, you know, the, I wasn't very academic in all those types of lines you hear. And mm. those, those are myths. You know, you are academic. There, there's, a just, there's a different type of uh, subject area that you're more interested in rather mm. than the traditional English math science, I suppose. So there's lots of myths. Um, that I, think, I, I don't think we'll ever bust them, I suppose, within the teaching responsibility uh, um, profession we have a responsibility to make sure that we do bust them uh, with one another as well as uh, with our children in our classrooms and I think that's always a hard one to do though isn't it like bust it like Maslow's you know the triangle like it drives yeah, me crazy that one and it's like get, you know you're always going to get mutations and, and things that kind of evolve into different ideas yeah. and a different name and, and, and you know some things might not be research informed so you know we've got a lot of ed tech software. I know you're into your ed tech. Yeah, so you get a lot I of am. Ed, you get a lot of ed tech software out there that make bold claims, but very few have been rigorously tested at an academic level. Other than they sample parents or they've done a bit of software testing, mm. that that's not the same as no. well. When you use this, it does X Y Z to people outcomes or to their brain or whatever else they're claiming. So uh, mm. we we have to be very cautious in that respect in that field. Yeah, well, my PhD is at um, the digitization in education. I'm looking at kind of best practice and, and evidence, really, and trying to create frameworks for us to go right, forward nice. to be able to judge things, mainly because, you know, I probably share your frustration being a scientist. I, I hate it when we, we, you know, there's not strong enough evidence to be doing something yet. We continue to do it. And ed tech's full of it, isn't it? It's just yes, like if is. you go to bet, it's just everywhere. And it they make Everywhere. very bold claims with not very much evidence. Yeah, well, part of my life as a blogger is I've seen, I've seen every type of ed tech software you can imagine. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of people come my way. You know, before we knew the words influencer, I used to get a lot yeah. of kind of sponsored requests on my site. So I've seen every ed tech channel you can think of: different colours, different logos, but essentially doing the same thing with all these uh, interesting claims. Um, and it's interesting to see which ones survive over the years, which ones mm. uh, dive or have a rebound or, or change their methods. Mm. Uh, but there's a lot more out there, as we know. You know, the World Wide Web, it's a big space and there's a place for everyone. I'm hoping a place for that... lots of dodgy products too. Yeah, exactly. I'm hoping that we get better. I mean, since we've had things like, um, you know, the education evidence, you know, the framework. Or, yes. Or the, you know, the, the education found, um foundation as Education. well endowment foundation, yeah, foundation. Mouthful, yeah it is a bit of a mouthful and you know since then it seems to have become a bit more evidence driven and that was because when I joined I'd come from engineering so to me it was like well you know you use kind of like you know really you know very well structured um yeah. very well evidenced and very procedural so to come in and then it'd be quite it was it felt quite fluffy to me and I was like, this feels crazy. <laughs> well, but... you know, back, back in the day, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not talking here about the 50s or 60s, but in the 90s, um, it was local authority training and, and that was pretty much it. There was 
I spoke, you know, I was a very young man starting to teach. I was 19, so I had no interest whatsoever in purchase. I would never have dreamed of purchasing a book, Free Will. But, of course, you get your mm. reading book materials, that your reading mm. list that you have to dip in and out of. And there are one or two books you'll purchase, you'll swap, or you borrow from the university library. But, you know, you're just trying to it's very easy for us all to forget what it's like to be a new teacher. You know, you're battling assignments, you're battling your QTS evidence portfolio. Mm. It's overwhelming. You're, you know, not exclusively young. You know, you get a lot of mature teachers entering the profession. Um, but uh, when you're young, you don't have that uh, cultural capital around. You don't have as many no. resources. You're, you might be uh, away from home, etc. And you want to have a bit of fun at university. So, um there's you know managing your subject knowledge your behavior and then trying to get into cognitive science that's a big big ask i think for i think it'd teacher. be it'd be nice to have some because it seems to me to be so critical i mean it it just makes perfect sense that that would be something that we definitely have in there so i'm really pleased to see this and such a great accessible book in it so thank you ross for that when i was reading it that one of the things i realized when looking through it and it's one of those questions that drives me crazy as well uh, is that when we when you looked at everything that was in there, you had things like dual code and direct instruction, and you had, you had a lovely example with a volcanic eruption and Edna yes. fell in your uncle, which basically which made me laugh because my daughter's Icelandic, isn't she? So when oh, I was right. reading it, she was like. Well, I'll be working oh. hard to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, well, I got told off yesterday because my pronunciation was not my my pronounce pronouncing of this is Edna fell in your but. Apparently, I don't get the uh, at the end right, so yeah, she corrected see, I, I me would twice. Say, uh, yeah, flat look, and I think I've got that wrong. But um... <laughs> Etna fella you come. Yeah, well, so, there you yeah, go. <laughs> I'll teach it here at some point. But yes, um, you had you had a it's really in my good book. example. I need to get it right, don't I? Yeah, yeah. I'll get her to do it on a little audio for you, and I'll send right, it lovely. over. But um, when I when I looked at it, she said to us, "Oh, that's a." a are awful one to say mum we laughed for ages in Iceland over everybody trying to pronounce this yeah. and then she tried to explain it to me and she did exactly what you described in your book where she broke it down into little right, chunks yes. <laughs> I was like oh yeah. this is good but when I looked at it um I thought how do you get this right and then I realized that it's like trying to really it's in the, the repetition and the consistency of yeah. how you teach and I wondered, how do you find it? Because I think sometimes we're, we're not very repetitive, are we? You know, we don't, sometimes I think we plan these things and then we, we don't follow through on the repetition. You know, things happen, people yeah, come in, I, things change. I mean, I, if I rewind back to 2013 when I wrote my first book, I think there's a chapter in there about, I used to get very frustrated as a young teacher about sounding like a broken record. Yeah. Or being a parrot saying the same thing 17 times. I guess for two reasons. One, it strengthens synapses, but I didn't realise that at the time. And two, when the student said back your famous catchphrase in the class phrase, you knew uh, in the classroom you knew you were winning and you were starting yeah. to get through. But the most interesting thing that I've read in my research for the book was just connecting with Professor Sarah Jane Blakemore from Cambridge, who's one of the world's leading experts on the teenage brain, and mm. she just describes how from through adolescence, you know, this is, you know, 10, 11, up to 25 years old. <laughs> no wonder I was still uh, a, quite a risk-taking risk -taking, uh, young man in my <laughs> 20s when I was a teacher. Um, but we're going through quite a lot of synapsis growth and pruning. So your brain is still working out your character, your identity, mm. how you physically move, all those types of things. Your brain's still shaping itself and still growing. 
uh, a rapid uh, rapid sense. So when we talk about kids and their hormones, it's actually part of what's happening, but the brain's going through significant changes. Hmm. Uh, and, and you know, we get into cognition and processing, decoding, emotional intelligence. You start to understand. Uh, to a degree, I suppose, um, you know, and I'm far from a specialist in this field, but you start to get at least a small insight into the difficulties and the challenges young people face growing up and also having to learn stuff in our classrooms. Yeah, I always used to describe, describe it in my classroom as learning is hard. That would be the first thing I'd say. You yes. know, it's hard to do. You know, if you're doing it right, then it can be hard. And um and I often used to, in my GCSE classes when I was doing them, describe it as like an athlete, a trained mind, like athletes, that, you know, you, you exercise your muscle and then you're ready for you, you kind of, um, you marathon. And to be honest, when I, when I look at your book, it, it's similar, isn't it? Because it's, it's that kind of repetition of, you know, um, making sure that you've got all those kind of techniques in spacing, interleaving and summarizing to build those connections through the synapses. Because the easier, the, you know, the, the stronger they are, the easier it is for them to record. Exactly. And, and the message for teachers listening is you need to practice these explicitly in your classroom. Also, at every possible opportunity and exploit it so that those techniques become memorable in your own teaching dna repertoire i suppose mm. um and then you can automate them and that's what good uh, i shouldn't say the word good that's what experienced teachers do over time when things become uh, embedded into long-term memory that, that's when your schema is established and you can re you're you're improving that retrieval storage you can use these things at any time mm. and then when we start to think about developing further schema you can I always think of a nice analogy of, of a spider web. You know, if you've got mm. no knowledge whatsoever, you have to start with the first strut from yeah. corner to corner, and then you slowly build the web, and then you decorate the the, the details on the inside. Mm. You, know, you know, all of us maybe have some broken links. We have to reshape it. We get a bit of misinformation here or there, or we forget to retrieve, and the information's lost. So if you don't mm. use it, you lose it. But until it's established mm. and um, deeply embedded then though you know you can see how learning happens and why curriculum intention uh you know yeah. you have the best best details on paper but how, how to bring it to life is another challenge so repeat, yeah repeat. one of the one of the things you had in the book was that you had a really lovely section in the back that was like really great cpd and a, and a really good argument for cpd and how to structure it across a year you know yes. you did do we need to prioritize our own learning a bit more do you think absolutely i mean I, I i suppose part of my own kind of cultural capital was you know having a good resilience to be able to each and go off and study and learn a bit more uh you know but uh, we all have our own adversities and challenges uh you know i left home when i was 19 to go and train to teach moved mm. 300 miles across the country etc so um it, it's 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 hard but i, I think that you, you, you can't you can't just get your qts and think that's it it's a constant mm. learning curve as we'll all know there are things you're going to have to do in your own time uh but then when we all think about our teaching teacher training experiences mm. we'll all can list off a thousand different things that weren't so good or didn't meet our needs or was a total waste of our time mm. um and, and doing that and then having led teacher training in schools as part of my whole school teaching and learning responsibility as a school leader, um, 
I guess I've, I've tried every possible scenario, every different type of context, different audiences, mm. uh, different timings, different day of the week. So I just um, built up a good database of different strategies for delivering teacher training and then started to experiment with teach meets about yeah. 2010. So teach meets have been doing for 14, uh, 12 years now. Do you find that experience of sharing between other teachers really powerful? I find that brilliant, you know, watching other teachers sharing between them. As a teaching and learning leader, I used to go off and observe hundreds of lessons Hmm. uh, on a monthly basis. And I used to always ask myself, I'm profiting from this, but how can I ensure everyone else does also, or Hmm. they profit rather than me being the person directly in the observation? So I used to experiment with all sorts of models, but I think using that and reading a lot more about professional development, seeing it myself in my schools and leading it for others in teach meets events, and then slowly people starting to ask me to lead it for them in their school alongside my full-time job. Mm. I started, and, and then when people started to pay you some hard, you know, hard, cold cash, yeah, it's time nice and that. effort. <laughs> Yeah, but you have to also, you know, there's a big process that you have to go through there to yeah. justify costs, delivery, mm. timings, being meaningful, because you're, you're essentially delivering a one-off cover yeah. lesson in some respects to a group of people you don't know. So how do you bring all these things together using research methods mm. uh, and deliver something that's going to make a difference to your teachers? I guess what I've learned is... Um, Ultimately, if we think about our inset model first, um, it's redundant. You can't do five inset days anymore. If retrieval practice works in our classroom and it's good for retention, Mm. then it has to be the same model for our teacher training. We need to abandon the five inset days and disaggregate the the, the time available for kind of half an hour or one hour chunks after school every week on a regular basis to allow teachers to... Hmm. Uh, regularly retrieve their ideas to share and compare. So you could you could have your five inset days as, as standard, but then what you might want to do alongside your meeting schedule, and this is the challenge, you can't do everything and fit it all in, but you might hmm. want to have half an hour every week on a particular topic, play, share and compare, go and have a, a go in your classroom, come back next week and share and compare back. And hmm. and those skills I see on my travels, those happier skills, happier performing happier uh, kind of retention staff they're doing Mm. those things and and that's a much more effective way where all people have a voice rather than it's just the school leader and the head teacher is also part of the process and taking part too not not disappearing on a safeguarding issue i had that in my last school we did it like i think it was a half an hour a week we all committed to um it was uh, requires improvement moved up to good exceptional school and um actually it just it was a commitment all of us made and and actually it just made such a difference because week on week on week you were building on it it was like moving yeah. towards that journey but, but that kind um, of stuff needs buying from staff so they need yeah. to be part of the kind of co-construction of the design mm-hmm. uh they need to have a you know rather than everyone in one room and everyone sits down and listens to ross for three hours it's well no let's break it down into let's break the three hours into lots of 30 minute chunks with 10 mm-hmm. classrooms on and lots of small groups of people talking so there's a mixed diet it's you know it's a bit of a a CPD menu experience, another idea I talked about many years ago. I'm a big fan of, um, have you seen the toast method for wicked problems? If you've not, no. look it up. It's a really good way to kind of work out the schema, actually, of your entire organisation 
we all of you have a have a our opportunity to put forward what's going on in each department or what's going right. on in each area. Right. It's used in industry. It's um it's a it's really a systems thinking way to look at things. Yeah. And actually, it's really really effective to get. I used to do it in my meetings to get all of the views and buy in from everybody. Um, I, I use it in CPD when I've done um cpd with like the world ort and, and big groups where we talk about maker ed how to co-design something and it just brings it into this kind of a big schema that you can see and then all work shared and have a shared vision for something it's really useful i'll send it over but yeah. i think that one like when you have shared visions then you have buy-in and without that shared vision you're right you just don't but i think that kind of design for inset you know sometimes i think it's useful you write to get a shared vision and then all work towards it instead of having mm -hmm. you write just one. I've had them where I've just done the one day where you turn up and then you, you know, for me, it's like an absolute nightmare. You it know, never works. <laughs> it must, there must be, there must be strategies where things have to align to whole school needs as well as individual needs or even teams, you know, departments. Mm -hmm. And that's what you can do in house, but the, you know, an external speaker like myself turning up to your school, it has to fit in to your, whole school needs your team needs and your individual needs and that's the challenge mm -hmm. it, uh, sorry while you're sorry while you're in here while everybody's in here we've had quite a few listeners join if you've got any questions for us just put them and put them in the chat and let us know um i'm going to ask a different one on this one because it's close to my my heart with this when i read your book on memory one of the thoughts i had because you know i have adhd and autism just mm -hmm. you know diagnosed in the last three years yes. um and actually i've seen a really good paper out recently in the lancet that was uh Burnek in the lancet from uh new york state psychiatric and columbia university and he put out this idea that they measured one of the biggest longitudinal studies they've done among nine and ten year olds with adhd should they add like 11 significant differences across 79 brain regions now that's less than people have initially thought actually that our mm -hmm. brains are slightly different but I, I looked at some of these techniques all of them in there have been shown it, it, you know in your book the guide to memory have been shown to benefit snd students you know mm -hmm. pretty much every single one of them is one of the the great ways to be able to teach your snd do you think you needed a you need more research on send cognitive development and memory absolutely um that's my, my big bugbear with this i want more on that. my like, data my research insights you know my book just great teaching gathered yeah. ten thousand bits of data mm. uh, from teachers across the country before the pandemic teachers were telling me the increase in mental health yeah. and the complex challenges of meeting send in the classroom was their greatest challenge and where they lacked yeah. confidence the most. I can be a whiz on memory and retrieval, but you put me in a corner and ask me about dyspraxia, dyscalculia and ADHD, oh, I'm starting to be out of my comfort zone. And actually in my classroom, mm. there's probably three, four, five, six kids that have specific needs. Mm. Um, you know, the challenge for us all is, it, I think of the statistic, I think it's how every, there's, ADHD ADH pupils are a hundred times more likely to be excluded than any other child in a school. Yeah. So I'm not talking here about ethnicity, just, I guess, learning needs. Yeah. So a, a question to people, everyone listening is when, when you think about your, your classrooms, you know, which students in your class have ADHD, you know, mild mm. or severe pupils go into your internal referral rooms or being excluded. Who are they? And mm. if they are, 
more than others the ADHD pupils. We need to do a little bit more. The challenge is funding resources, people to support these children. This is where schools are screaming out aloud for a bit more help. And and now the pan, you know pandemic and COVID, it, the numbers are increasing year on year. And we look at exclusions going up. You know, there's an interesting provocation from Mick uh, Walkers and, and Tim Brookhouse lately that uh, I don't know the numbers specifically, but whatever the thousands and thousands and thousands of pupils being excluded in our English skills, mm. when you compare it to other nations on our uh, British islands, um, the numbers are insignificant and much, much lower. So what are they doing in other parts of the UK that we're mm. not doing in England? I, I I've had a look into this and it's like the research for it for for you know for SND for cognitive development is just so slim. There's just hardly anything there. Mm -hmm. So you know there's not enough studies done on this to be able to you know understand how to really improve it from a from a cognitive um, memory kind of perspective. Um, but actually you know we do need a lot of stronger cpd but uh, you know one of the the benefits of this is that as i said all, a lot of a lot of the ways in which your book covered the best practice and some of the best ways to you know improve the memory and the the learning of your, your pupils actually all of them do have you know good evidence for supporting snd students so even though we've not got quite the specifics you know, those kind of chunking methods or retrieval or spacing or summarising or direct instruction, you know, they they lean themselves towards SND students because of just the nature of the repetitiveness of it. You know, if I don't repeat something, uh, you know, several times, it's not going in, you know, no. <laughs> it's just not there. It's like, and, you know, I've, we have a running joke in my house, if it's in, it was in my hand and then it's not in my hand, you know, that is literally where I am at ages. But... Um, when I do learn something, because it goes into your long-term memory and it doesn't just try and sit in my shore, you know, I know it then. So, you know, it's not, I, I've got one of those memories where once I get it in, then that's that's it. I know it forever and day then. Yeah, I mean, so, what I, I think in the book, I wanted to create a beginner's guide for all teachers to access. So, you mm -hmm. know, I, 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 I'm far from a specialist, but if you could classify me as an intermediate who knows a little bit more yeah. than most teachers now, I suppose, uh, I wanted to write a beginner's guide. So I think when you look at the types of memory chapter, at least it gives people an insight into all the different parts and how things are shaped. And here's what you can do as a teacher. And uh, ultimately, going back to your very first question, why did you write yeah. it? it? When you know more, it will influence, I, I would stick my neck and say it will change and refine how you teach and make you a much more highly effective practitioner. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an absolutely brilliant book. So you can go, I think it's out now, isn't it, Ross? So you can go get it. It and, is, um, it is. And um, so, you know, I yeah. always say you don't need to buy my book, and I know it's a book plug, but you don't yeah. need to. You can't, you know, all this stuff I've learned from myself over the years, I just wanted to put it into one place, and hmm. Bloomsbury kindly offered me to write, put it into a book. But yeah, it's on your your Amazon channels if you want to destroy the planet with overpackaged uh, products. <laughs> or you can go to Bloomsbury and they'll post something out for you and give you a a humble discount, or you can come to me on my website and I'll uh, put it in a nice envelope uh, that's environmentally friendly and I will walk up a very steep hill 
and hand deliver it to the post office and post it to you anywhere around the world. So there you go. So I want to give you a quick chat just just loosely before we have the news. You you doctorates at the University of Cambridge. It's on social media networks and influencing education policy. To paraphrase a very long title, though, Ross. But yeah, um, I read one. some of your I read some of your recent papers uh, yes. recently from from one researcher to another. Uh, you do quite a, a lot using Nodex, which, by the way, is yes. like a technique for mapping out social networks. Yes. Um, most recently, you did one called "Close the Schools" that trended on Twitter as they closed. Yes. Um, I had a look at some of these. Do you looking at it? Do you think social media? has been good for the teaching profession. I bet this is the most common question you get asked for this research, but yeah. I thought I'd give you the chance to answer that the, again. The biggest challenge with social media full stop is we all benefit, we all benefit it from uh, in one shape or another. We can buy a book online that gets delivered to our house tomorrow, or we can connect with people at the other side of the world and, and or, or watch a video much quicker than we can get it on the news. Mm. However, we all have taken the stance that we're quite happy to profit from the internet and social media at large, despite us all being aware of all the grooming and all those dark things that go on on the web mm. um, and have not yet been tackled, which is why, you know, the white bill going through about online harms yeah. is, is only now just being sorted. You know, we've had a generation of children using devices without that protection and I guess ourselves, you know, I didn't have my first mobile phone until I was 25. Just like, I just wanted to text and call me f my family. I didn't really know uh, how I the phone I was one of worked. those weird generations that grew up with kind of like an analog child, an analog early childhood and a digital late childhood. So it's a weird one. I think I had my first yes. phone when I was about 17, 18. Right, when then, phones yeah, first came out. I was out. 25. Oh, um, but the, the answer to the question is yes. Of course we've profited and we've... Um, We've all moved the profession forward. We can share ideas rapidly. There's lots of people doing side hustles alongside their full-time job. That's good. But there's also a dark side on NG Twitter. Mm. As you know, you know, all the private yeah. messages, the, um, the, the naughty pictures that we shouldn't be sharing with strangers. Yeah, it can be quite brutal. So, you know, you have to, we have to learn how to navigate that. You know, 15 years ago, if I was tweeting something on a Sunday, everyone would be tweeting me back, why don't you have a life? You know, it's the yeah. weekend, etc. But now we're um, a bit more savvy to how we use social media. Um, people know that people work in different ways. We're a bit more softer in our understanding of others, you know, not exclusively. And you also see, at least yeah. on Twitter, the, the thousands of algorithms and, and spam bots at play when you're tweeting anything political and controversial. You're yeah. just left with a flurry of responses that, in my my opinion, are automated. Um, and, you I know, think... artificial intelligence, we've got lots of yeah. tools now to write reports and all sorts in the future. We'll have I did AI a... machines to reply to these things. Yeah, I did a great one recently. I've just written a, a, an article for Rise magazine in which I used part of it. I used an AI to write it just to highlight the point. <laughs> it's, yes. um, you know, nowadays you can run a, you know, and I think that's one that most people don't understand. You can run a GCSE paper through a, an open yes. AI these days yeah. and it will answer it for you. And yeah, it, that's frightening. quite frightening for all of us going forward. I think... When I talk about yours, though, with social media, um, one yeah. of the questions is, you know, as a, as a data scientist, have you, have you got to the stage where you tried sentiment analysis across it? And as our, do we have a sentiment in edge of Twitter? 
I'd love to know the answer to this. Well, that's a good question. So um, I guess just breaking it down for people that are, 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 yeah. are, haven't got a clue what I'm talking about here. So a social media, obviously Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that's the channel. And network analysis is looking at everyone that's in that network mm. and are talking about certain topics. So my best description is if you think of a little kind of brainstorm map or a spider diagram, and there's lots of small circles to represent. They're called nodes. These represent the individual accounts. Yeah. And there's lots of different lines connecting them in each different direction. So I might be connected to you. You're connected mm. to seven other people. And one of those seven people has a line coming back to me. Those mm. rep- represent online conversational relationships. So who's replying Talk to, to who, who's replying, who's retweeting, et cetera. So when you do this across a network of maybe 10,000 accounts, you'll end up with a very, very complicated diagram. And you can either have a static image, so that's just a flat 2D image that Hmm. doesn't change, or you can have a dynamic environment where you can press one of these dots, the nodes, and drag it and move it or zoom in and see close up who's talking to who and, and, and where the conversation goes. Another way of looking at it is if I ask anyone listening to write down all the conversations you've had this week, Mm. it would be impossible physically or digitally. But if I go on to your Twitter, if I go on to Twitter, I can put your account into my bit of software and I can draw out all the things that you've been saying and map it. Hmm. The question, the cynical person is, why Why the hell, excuse my language. Why would you, you do, do that? Why do you want to <laughs> yeah. do that, Ross? Okay, well, this is the question. I know as on my life uh, on Twitter, I've seen back in the early days of Twitter how I've said one or two things and others that have led to a degree of virality and influence on the network on Twitter and how it's then led to yeah. a quote in the TES or Schools Week or discussed at a public event where I'm not present Mm. Uh, so you can start to see how that word influencer appears so there's a phrase micro celebrity that first came from big brother actually in 2000s so a micro celebrity is where you're not known to the public at large but in your sector you are a celebrity Mm. so this whole micro celebrity and influence you can see how those terms have evolved in specific fields so whether I'm into beauty and makeup hairdressing farming or education you can become a micro celebrity mm-hmm. in a in a on a particular channel so instagram or whatever you like to do so drawing out that conversation my interest is on education policy narrowing that down into particular offset and you know people that know me well will have known that i tackled offset gradings and lessons alongside a few other people yeah. in 2014 I, I suppose being the victim of a poor offset uh, outcomes as well as getting all the badges for the outstanding I, I guess being a bit wiser and cynical I don't believe off the grades tell you very little about school quality mm. and um, it's more about the demographics that you teach uh, but Ofsted won't acknowledge that they won't adjust their framework to suit different school environments because uh, I'm a soft bigot or I might prefer to have lower standards rather than higher standards for all mm. children so whatever way you look at the world, it's all about perspective and insights. And, and what I want to do is just draw out how Try the teaching him. community on Twitter were talking about Ofsted. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess in terms of your question, is there a particular hashtag? Well, I, from an academic perspective, I've not researched that. 
Yeah, I mean, you can get, if you're wondering what I'm asking, a sentiment is like the overall kind of, you can have like a positive or a negative sentiment. Yeah, and sometimes words, when yeah. You, yeah, sometimes when you analyse tweets and you run them through an AI, you can look at them and you can highlight exactly which are the positive and negative kind of sentiments yes. and you get an overall sentiment of something. Um, you know, what I think what I'm looking at, and it's probably one of those ones, Ross, that I'll kind of, I'll pitch you some code and maybe you can do, um, is, you know, do we have an overall sentiment across Edutitter? Are we a bunch of positive people or are we a bunch of negative people? Yeah, you know, well, what's our views with what, that? Well, your sentiment analysis will bring out a positive and negative full stop yeah. anyway in terms yeah. of the analysis of words being used. Mm. The the challenge is you'd have to to... to to conduct a network analysis, you have to select a group of people mm. or some keywords. So if I wanted to select hashtag edu Twitter, mm. then I'm only collecting data from that group of people that use that hashtag. And these mm. could be and the, the challenge with this is it might be Joe blogs or it might mm. be uh, another blogs <laughs> person. Yeah. And they're, they are teachers or they're not. So you're going to get a wide range. So it's anyone that talks about on a particular channel or a network or a topic, then you can conduct the research. So when I look at Ofsted, mm. anyone tweeting the word Ofsted comes from a wide range of sources, parents, anonymous accounts, um, school leaders celebrating their Ofsted inspection. So you can start to see that, you're, you're, yes, you then need to refine it further to start yeah. to narrow down on what you wanted to test. That'll probably argue, before I start rounding up for the news, that'll probably argue as well that your hashtags are critically important then, are they not? You know, what uh, hashtags get trending well, and what doesn't? Well, hashtags are your search fields, but you can search by words. And not very mm. many people, at mm. least people listening here that use Twitter, are aware of maybe the advanced search features you can use on Twitter because when you play with this, yeah, you can really start to find people and research and ideas and networks mm. super quickly. So if you if everyone was listening wants to do that, just get in touch and I'll happily help. But I guess that's why I've learned to um, use Twitter really well and and uh, uh, have a bit of a, a large network, I suppose. To, to you've done advantage. a you've done quite a few blogs on it on your site. Um, if anybody wants to go and have a look at it on you know how great twitter uses and you know how they um what kind of research you've been doing and how close the schools um trended and and what the kind of analysis was like that for it so um what i want to do ross is i'm gonna play the news um a heads up warning when you come back um yes. me and ross are both going to be discussing um actually child abuse and and safeguarding so it'll be from a specific point of view because me and both Ross are both victims of child abuse. So this is this is a consider this your warning for it. And um, when we come back after the news, we'll have a discussion. Does that sound okay, Ross? Yeah, that's fine. I'm a survivor. I like to use the word survivor. I, I do, but I often wonder whether people get that or not. So we'll have the quick discussion when we come back after yes. the news, and it'll be probably quite a, a, a honest one. So definitely come back after words, and we'll catch you then. See you in a second. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events 
aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. After a week of political turmoil, the weekend news focuses on positive summer news as schools begin to look towards breaking up for the summer. In Bedfordshire, a school trust has opened a wellbeing garden. The Bedfordshire Schools Trust opened the garden as part of its fifth anniversary celebrations. During the pandemic, the Trust had pledged to fund and create areas within all its schools and nurseries, where staff could relax and take some time for themselves. The first garden was opened at the Estonbury Academy. In Hammersmith and Fulham, pupils have joined forces to make the local area cleaner and greener. Students from a range of schools and those pupils in Year 4 and Year 5 met up as part of the Mudlarks project and presented on themes based around the environment and ecology. Topics included reducing the use of plastic at school, clearing up litter from the Grand Union Canal and improving recycling rates. The Mudlarks project teaches children about water ecology, pollution, art and music alongside environmental research and scientific investigation. In Portsmouth, hundreds of children across the city are set for a summer of fun learning as they take part in a summer reading challenge. The national initiative, which promotes the benefits of children aged 4 to 11 reading for pleasure during the school holidays, is supported by the City Council. To complete the challenge, children simply need to borrow and read six or more library books over the summer. The challenge recognises reading in all its forms, including books of any size, graphic novels, poetry, picture books and audio books. The theme of this year's reading challenge is Gadgeteers and is designed to help children discover the world of science and innovation in their everyday lives. A National Youth Summit has been called to offer young people the chance to explore radical solutions to the big topics of the day, from job security and mental health to climate action and ethical working. Funded by the Cooperative Bank and in partnership with Trade Body Cooperatives UK, alongside the group's charity, the National Youth Summit will bring together hundreds of young people and organisations from across the UK. 
Standard Bank in Africa is empowering Africa through education, saying investing in developing the continent's education is crucial to drive sustainable and inclusive economic growth. Given the growth in the continent's population and the socio-economic challenges made worse by the pandemic, education systems must be strengthened to facilitate development. The bank will support projects in areas such as early childhood development, technical education and higher education. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to support a question everyone will see at the start of next year. It goes something like this. Hi Edu Twitter, can you reply with where you are so I can show my class how far a post on the internet can reach? With a bit of free tech, you can make this much more visual. I'm going to use Google Maps because it's free and most likely you'll have used Google Maps at some point in the past. So, when you have all your responses, sign into Google, Go to Maps and click on the menu next to the search box. That's the three lines that look like a burger. From the menu, select My Places. You'll now have four options. Lists, Labeled, Visited and Maps. Click on Maps and at the bottom select Create Map. Now you can give the map a title so you can find it next year for comparison and add all the places from your Twitter replies. Simply type the name of the place. When it appears with a blue point marker, you can click the plus sign to add it to the map and then select the colour to help it stand out. When you've finished, all places will be saved and you can access the map by following the first few steps. Menu, My Places, Maps. There are loads of other great tools to use also. Measure the distance from your school to those places. Hit Preview and go into the View Only mode. Here you can select the place and you treat it to a short bio and an image of the area. So next time you're looking to bring a lesson to life, why not try using maps to help pupils see where places are in the world? Do you have any top tips for mapping? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back. So, um, I'm just going to check. We've been talking to... Um, Ross McGill, um, commonly known as uh, Teacher Toolkit, and I'm just going to check that we've got Ross back. Are we? Are you around, Ross? I am here. Excellent, yes. wonderful. We always have that panic, don't you, when you first time to do <laughs> radio interviews? You're like, "Oh, you're there." Um, so, um, uh, a bit of a warning for everybody: me and Ross are about to start discussing um, child abuse. Actually, so if anybody's of a sensitive nature, um, just a bit of a heads up for you. Um, so I wanted to give a few stats before we started to discuss this. Um, the Crime Survey for England and Wales estimates that one in five adults aged 18 to 74 have experienced at least one form of child abuse. And about one in 20 children in the UK have been sexually abused. About one in seven adults who called the National Association for People Abused in Childhood's Helpline in the last year had not told anybody about the abuse before. Now, this is one me and Ross uh, are both familiar for because um, both of us are child abuse survivors, as Ross has just said to us. A better phrase, actually, um, isn't it? I, I don't know. I never know how to word it. Do you? Like, I, I don't, but, I, you know, I, I think going through, you know, we'll unpick this now, but um, going through my own journey, I, I was happier with survivor rather than victim because I have come through it and, part of that process of speaking out is you've got to go through quite a, a process to a point where 
you can recognize the past and move on with yourself um so i i think that's you know the resilience I think you probably and... i think sometimes i wonder whether i like survivor because you're right it's such an incredibly intense process especially if you start speaking out publicly i you you spoke out after 32 years um mm. about your abuse and and just when you were speaking out i'd spoken out about a year before and it was the most intensely stressful moment of my entire adult life that probably i think it you know there was there's so much that goes on during that process when you choose to speak publicly about it um and and not only that but also going through the process of going through court is is intensive as well so i think I, sometimes i'm like i like survivor because it is that kind of you know you follow through and you get to the end of it but then i think the problem is is that we sometimes we don't really acknowledge and especially you might have seen this with you know with cpds in schools and things you you don't acknowledge what a lifelong sentence that can be or what the impact of it is sometimes so sometimes i'm like well i'll say victim because it it highlights the point that this is you know su such a disastrous thing to happen to somebody and it takes so long you know to to get to the stage where you feel all right about yeah, it yeah i mean i'll probably at least say functional. Yeah, I would probably say I was a victim for 32 mm. years, not speaking out. But now yeah. I am that confidence and that process. My narrative perspective is more on surviving. And yeah. I, I was going to say the word celebrating, but no, sharing, I suppose, is the, you know, the celebration is me getting through the process and, and getting mm. on the other side to talk about it. But now, now it's that sharing and confidently talking about it and, you know, talking to others and raising the profile. Uh, because you and I, the, we're talking about this now, the, uh, there might be someone listening now, but there might not, but there might be someone that listens to this show in the future, or yeah. someone that knows someone, and I guarantee there will be others, uh, without question, sadly, uh, and there'll be people going through this process right now, or mm. far from ready to even consider uh, tackling it within their own uh, kind of processing i suppose a part of just dealing with it uh, your yourself mentally is a real challenge yeah yeah i mean i've had and i'm sure you had endless endless private messages on this quite a lot from teachers um you know and and it you know they're all at different stages of it and it, it's it's always kind of you know when i seen you talking about it publicly it was almost such a relief because it was like oh i'm not the only teacher that's well one thing when i did eventually go through my whole process and the police process etc and then yeah. i thought right I, I, i've got a big platform i need to put it on my blog and, and and i'd already made that decision i suppose as part of my kind of recovery or cathartic process was to just write it down mm. um what i was not prepared for was i was inundated you know people go to my personal yeah. twitter you'll see it's pinned to my profile but yeah. i was inundated with disclosures on my private network um one thing that really stood out for me was that um a teacher mother got in touch with me and mm said as a result of my blog their sons their teenage sons or the early 20s sons had both read my blog hmm. and they'd contacted obviously their mother and, and spoken about it for the first time and a long story short is it was their father who had done it hmm. 
Um, so all you know, I'd I'd opened a, a massive can of worms that I wasn't prepared for dealing with my own story first. But yeah, I was just uh, I'm talking hundreds, two, three hundred responses. Mm. Uh, you know, one chap got in touch. He was in his early seventies. He'd, he'd, he'd been in his entire life and still not talked about it to his family. Mm. Um, so I guess very quickly I had to learn how to signpost people to help you know, some established help i suppose other than being the expert and going into any kind of gory details because some did cover gory details and you can put your own experiences into perspective but i think you yeah. know abuse is abuse yeah. um and here are some people that can help you go through this process but i think so, speaking out does give it allows at least there's another human being like me they've yeah. gone through this process I'm not alone, and it gives us a bit of that kind of solidarity. Um, so I, re I recently went through your, your tweets during the time, and I said to you at the time when you you chosen to go through the battle of prosecution, which you know both of us have done, and it's it's incredibly, it's it's so intensive that, um, and I, I think people are, aren't really prepared for that. Um, that you uh, and I, I tweeted you, and you tweeted me back at the time, and I said, uh, you know, we choose to. You choose to stand up, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but you're not standing alone. And every time one victim stands up, they stand up for all of us. Do you think we need more visibility of us? And, and as particularly those in position of influence who power who can speak out, it's a really personal decision to speak publicly. And yeah. a lot of the yeah. time it takes decades to do. So you know, Absolutely. I'm, I'm confident there'll be a few other edgy celebs out there who are probably like me because the numbers are staggering. The numbers are I think I saw 3.1 million uh, this uh, year or something recently um, on a, on a site. Uh, but you know, my my respect, you know, being abused by another man. Mm. There's about it's about 12,000 men every year are raped in the UK, mm. uh, which is staggering. And that's you know, boys, men raped, abused by other men and women. Yeah. I have to add. Um, mm. So. It's it's a societal thing, sadly. You know, even here in the UK, in a first world country, these things are happening, mm. um, and it's one of the many, many you know dark sides of the world that's just uh, sadly part of our, our society. But I do think the more you know, there's so many things we need to raise awareness of. This is just another of a thousand different things. But mm. you know, as teachers, we often find you know teachers go into teaching because of their calling and it might be because yeah. they love their subject they love the kids but sometimes it's because they were vulnerable too and they want to help those vulnerable children themselves and uh, mm. so it doesn't happen to the kind of next generation and my story uh or a part of my story was that i was i'd organized a safeguard and training myself as a school leader mm. for my inset program and sitting next to a colleague uh this brilliant safeguard and trainer Hmm. Um, did her thing at the front and did all the different things but a phrase that resonates and I think I put this in my blog was that she said there'll be a person in this room that will have experienced child abuse and, and sexual abuse and there was a a, 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 la a, a small laughy comment that said yeah right and that yeah. it's quite a monumental moment for me because I was sitting there next to them as a victim not ready to talk about it and as a hmm. school leader I should have challenged the comment initially mm. you know professionally um but i think it I, I veered more to ah am i going to highlight it was like the light shined on me yeah. um 
uh, are you saying that it's you, Ross, in the room, I suppose? So um, that was a critical moment for me. And I'm uh, um, trying to think at what point in the year that, that would have been a good 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I was quite a way off from speaking publicly yeah. about it. Uh, but you, I, I look back at that time, I was starting to get on the journey where this it was bubbling away and I wanted to move on. And mm. if I was in the business of teaching and safeguarding and these things were still being assumed, you know, yeah. 10 years ago, then something needed to be done at least at my level and a local level. Yeah. I mean, I'd, um, I went through court very young. So I was 15, 16 when I went through Yeah, court. that's very young. Crazy. And I was, um, it ruined my GCSEs. So I went through court during that process. I, I, you know, I was abused for a, a little over 10 years in childhood and then it took five years to get to court. Um, but even then when I, when I did, it was, it was very intensive, you know, and it was, it was, it was a disaster, you know, and it was, it was, it was absolutely awful period of my life. But then it took a very long time to kind of get to the stage where I could talk about it or, or even mm-hmm. acknowledge it. And when I came to do my training, my safeguarded training as a teacher, I found the exact same experience. You know, people like, oh, well, you know, there's one person in the room and you're like, well, I'm that person. But you don't really yeah. want to say you're that person. And <laughs> I remember I did I, I did a safeguarding training at my my university and I got so upset during it that in the end, I, I literally, it was a rare occasion. And I think I was just getting to the stage where I was like, you know, it's been, you know, 30 odd years. Maybe I should not be frightened of talking. And I literally turned around and was like, you know, well, what, what if that person's me? And then it was, it was, it was you know, it was, um, they didn't know what to do with me. You know, I think that's the other thing. They don't, you know, do people know what to do with you when you say it? You know, I was, I was, I was talking to my husband about this and he said, you know, sometimes Caroline, I wonder whether it's the, it's the ultimate mic drop moment. You know, people don't know what to say to you. Yet. Yeah. Well, there's um, that. So that's where the training helps with schools. You know, if someone discloses to you, you know, we're, we're quite comfortable with children or recognizing some yeah. you know, non-verbal signals such as bruises on the skin. But when someone does come and say that, whether it's a child or a colleague, what, what do you do next? Yeah. How do you respond? That That's a training need in its own right. But the, the challenge for all of us in schools is training in everything and everything. There's not enough time, which is why mm. when you go back to the mental health SEM conversation yeah. we had earlier. It's such a massive area and you can't expect your teachers to be on the front line of everything without mm. resources. You know, we're losing our counsellors in our schools, funding mm. for this and everything else. Uh, we're, we're stretched and... Uh, it, it's it's another you know you get you to you get your typical safeguarding training at this end of, uh, start of the year all the statutory updates at the start of mm. term you know if you're a new member of staff uh, through, through the academic year I suppose uh, and that's the bog standard model but I think we need a bit more but then I've got to teach too and I've got to call these parents and I've got to write these reports so mm. it's a challenge but I think more of us talk about it more of us speak up more of us think about specific things other than just mm. children you know breaking safeguarding down into specific areas mm. you know you could spend your whole career or your whole inset year time available for the year just on safeguarding alone and, and never be up to date i think i'd just like in that context do you know letting your teachers know that that safeguarding is going to cover this section and giving them the opportunity to be kind of like you know here's a quiet heads up 
you know, may just be just enough because sometimes I found those kind of conversations, you know, you're not expecting it. And then as a victim, you kind of like suddenly, you know, you've got it there. And then it, I don't know about you, but sometimes it'll repeat on me because obviously you don't, you, you, you say move, move on, but many, you know, many people really, really struggle to move on because it, it regurgitates itself over a lifetime. Well, so, I mean, I, I, you know, only yesterday, um, no, the day before, Friday at the Festival of Education, I did my morning presentation on my research memory. Yeah. And there was a chap that came up to me at the end of the end of the session who did a disclosure and um, like, I, wasn't what do do yeah, I wasn't yeah. prepared for it at all. So I could only draw on my resources, given my experience, signpost things. And um, yeah, that was it. So it just shows you that, you know, my, my own stories helping others, but you, you, you also receive stuff when you least expect it. Mm. Um, you know, that, 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 that's the nature of the world and how we live and work. And, um, you know, just, just what teachers encounter, you don't, you, you can never be prepared, but you have to be prepared. <laughs> yeah. I mean, having a few resources when you do do safeguarding that can just point teachers into the right directions. If they themselves want to kind of disclose or talk to somebody are probably useful to have, you know, we talk about where to go for students, but we very rarely talk about where to go for staff or, mm-hmm. or how to manage disclosures. If you're a staff member who's, who's, been a victim of abuse then having somebody disclosed to you is quite hard going um so you know just having somebody to talk to is probably a, a good thing um i i always felt like when we we were when you see or you see cpd on child abuse or when you see it there um there's there isn't very many people there or there's not much there's not many victims in the conversation ever is that because there's just so few of us willing to know there lies the challenge you know you need to you know if we think about you know you get your public speakers that come to talk to kids in assemblies or you get yeah. the occasional guest speaker for your school staff and then you come into specialist topics you know you'll get your retrieval practice expert that comes in you might get a specialist team that comes and does a bit of safeguarding but who'd you get you know, for that <clears throat> the power of stories, you know, I, I can do your, your safeguard and inset and talk about all the different issues and, you know, sexual abuse and stuff. But I don't know that if, if someone could stand at the front and give me a story of a real mm. experience, that's much more hard hitting and is going to make a difference mm. to how people act and change in the future. But, you know, as I said, there's a million and one other things to do also. Yeah. Uh, where do you start? But I, I, I guess, you know, if we go back to the sexual harassment in schools report by Ofsted, Mm. And given that Ofsted were reminded about this five plus years ago by, I think, the Women's Select Committee yeah. um, and nothing was done. Um, and then the whole raft of the, the kind of recent movement on the website where lots of people were disclosing their experiences yeah, in schools. And a, a yeah, and everybody's it, included. Yeah, it was you know, quite shocking. Yeah, you know, We're never going to get to zero where it never yeah. happens. It's sadly always going to happen. Uh, sadly so we need to tackle it head on and be uh, one step ahead of ourselves equip our staff uh, Mm. at all aspects of school life from the front desk to the back room where Mm. everyone can be prepared for those conversations be aware support each other but also you know working with vulnerable all children not just vulnerable children being ready for that conversation if it happens or how to spot the signs and signals you know, and you know, there's only so much you can do 
outside the school gates, but the journey to and from school and all those and how you can educate your parents a bit more. Um, it, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's an incredibly tough one, but I'm kind of glad that we're having this. I said, you know, when I tweeted this, I think we're the first two educators I know who we were both abuse victims who were talking about it on a radio show. You know, until we start having it, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, disclosing or talking to somebody, please do. You know, it, it, there, there is places you can go to for support. You've done some work with the Survivors UK for male victims of abuse, haven't you, Ross? Yes. Um, I mean, they, oh, I remember uh, a, a time many, many years ago, just going to the doctors for, a, I don't know, a cold or something like that and mm. just popping in the toilet and that, the power of a poster, you know, as you stand at the urinal, sorry for the details, but, you know, stand at the urinal, you're looking at a poster and, and there was that message for me right there. And mm. that was quite a, a, a key moment. At least it gave me a resource to use when I was ready um, but again, I parked it. I didn't do anything with it. So then when I did mm. eventually, they were critical in my kind of recovery and uh, kind of uh, survivor uh, kind of mm. uh, experience of talking about it and going through the process and counselling. Mm. Uh, and uh, there are many others, but for at least the called Survivors UK, they're specifically for men uh, they're based mm. in london rather than across the country i haven't looked at them recently and what they're doing of late and if that's spread it further but there are other variations yeah. of, i suspect if i dug deep there's different types of organizations for different types of yeah. you know abuse sexual abuse etc uh, but yeah that was just mine and they were very helpful to talk things through and i managed to go and visit the team uh, mm. in london at the office and say hello and access some of the resources yeah i was very lucky i um i had a one of the reasons i became a teacher i had a great teacher you know that's how i ended up in court you know i had a great teacher who was are you okay you know literally mm -hmm. that's how i ended up in court and 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 prosecuting um but mine was mine ended up quite a quite a big case so it ended yeah. up quite in the news and you have those experiences of reading about yourself as you know the yeah, child I mean, such that... and such which is really strange when you're an adult going back and looking at that and it's like wow that's and you know my mother was quoted in the press you know about it all it yeah and when you see that. these things that, yeah, that must uh, yeah be a tough one. it's a tough one and when you see these things especially when you see people reflected in the press and how we talk about victims it's it's incredibly frustrating you know, um, uh, or how we talk about people who've survived abuse. It's, it's, um, they've still not got it right, I think. Um, well, and plus, you know, we're all victim of talking about celebrity stories yeah. and things we see in the press and having an opinion and tweeting it away. And, you know, mm -hmm. whoever it is, whether it's Jimmy Savile or Barry Bennell or anyone else, you know, we can mm -hmm. all see the news story, you know, trust what's written in the press, don't know the facts, it's all on court, splashed across the television. Those are tough ones as well. But I guess for an individual um, beyond the world of celebrity, you know, people like me, you and someone else, yeah, you know, having your story it. on the news or in printed in press around your family for anyone else to read in the future, that is also something to, to consider that yeah. might happen. Uh, you know, I didn't have that. Uh, I guess it's why I spoke confidently on Twitter rather than shying away, I suppose. But I, I it's, think, a, it's, um, a, it's a minefield. It's a minefield. It is. And I think um, I, I did have that. And I think it was, you know, looking back at the child I was and to the adult I am now, it was it was quite intensive. 
Um, but I think one of the things that I really got during my period, and it's one of the things I often say, is that schools were the ultimate stability. You know, if you're a young person going through court, school is the ultimate stability if you can get it. Um, because it just has the same structures, the same rules. You know, you could go in and your life would be relatively normal um, in comparison to the the very big kind of court mess that you have going on outside of it. And I often find, I don't know whether you find as a victim, I find other people's reactions is the most upsetting part. You know, how yeah, other because, people you know, react but... can be really, really upsetting, um, well, whether they're I upset for you or whether they're... Yeah, but you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, t t 10 years ago, yeah. asking me to talk about racism and diversity, I would struggle because I didn't have the language. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of how to talk about it um, mm. or challenge my own perceptions for fear of getting it wrong. Uh, I'm not there yet on that issue, but um, I'm much more confident and I will blatantly uh, talk about um, whatever issue it is in the room. Um, mm. You know, as an example, I guess from this respect with sexual abuse, we don't have that, you know, we don't have that dialogue. We haven't practiced no, we haven't. Um, how to talk about it, how to respond. Here's a story, here's a resource. So it's another, I guess, putting it in the landscape of how we move on with different dialogues in our psyche in day-to-day mm. -day life. You know, you see lots of cases of sexual abuse on the, the, the television, but mm. not much happens after, you know, sexual abuse organizations that are listening or got all the resources they'll have a whole yeah. different methodology and way ahead of the, the game but for teachers for people listening to the show we might not have those scripts the responses and and, and until we get better at doing those things we will we'll struggle with that response and I, I think that for me that's important that we we start to have that kind of conversation because I know that if you you know, having it out there and having those conversations highlights the point that, you know, it's okay to have those conversations. And this can be, it can be quite a taboo subject to raise. And especially when you're the it victim, is. it feels so, it's like carrying around a giant suitcase of bricks continuously. And until yeah, you kind my, of my, down, my danger is now, I feel, I feel much more confident just talking about it or dare I say, dropping it into a conversation Mm. My 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 biggest fear now is not getting blasé about the experience to a point where the person just sees that I've just brushed it into the conversation without really considering their time to process or to respond or, or question to ask back. Um, yeah. So there's also the danger of that now. You know, for me, four years on with my disclosure is so how how do I how do you approach it? Yeah. That? Um, you know, I I tend to I, I I tend to say that's the case, and then say you know that that you know I'm a I'm a, a survivor of, of sexual abuse, and you know, and that's that's where my my history in my childhood is. And then normally I get somebody say something like, "Oh, that's you know incredibly you know um, thank you for sharing that with me. That's a nice one to hear," or you know I'm I'm very sorry about that, and you know, mm -hmm. and that's normally what I get. But I I, I understand exactly what you mean, where you're like. Do it? Do I raise it, or do I not raise it, or do I leave it? Do I not leave it? Well, it's like this yeah, mind so, game. You never know whether one. to so, say it. It's um, I guess you know, with the experience and and getting it right, sometimes or getting it wrong. For I guess for us, uh, as role models, for want of a better word, maybe or survivors, yeah. is knowing how how to 
how to um, share or respond or give advice in, mm. uh, you know, in that kind of stand-up conversation moment with someone else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we probably need to be a bit better, better at it ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'll give you one really interesting fact is mm. just before the pandemic, I was asked to go and speak at a male mental health event. Yeah. And the organisation for the life of them within the teaching profession Mm. couldn't sell tickets and, and I think it was a five or something so it wasn't extortionate mm. but there was just no um and there'll be a few reasons I'm sure how it was marketed promoted the area etc there'll be lots of factors mm. but for some quick you know myself and a few others who had quite a an established edgy twitter profile yeah these issues including mine disclosed as part of the events mm. that there was no not enough sales to warrant it going on so uh, i wonder if that dialogue's changed now and people will be interested to you know not exclusively male mental health but it's a kind of indication that maybe we're still not there yet and we're not ready i think maybe sometimes i worry that it, it does feel a bit taboo i think sometimes people almost you know my four or five years of talking sometimes I think there's a there's a natural because it's such a terrible subject to discuss I think there's sometimes almost a natural recall against it you know you, you almost um the, people worry what kind of conversation I think they're going to hear or what kind of yeah, thing and I, I, I think that is because I think sometimes they think whether they're going to get some kind of gory details but I don't think anybody now a lot of the time victims I'm not sure really want to don't want to go into that you know um or you know if they I mean, do there's, then there's many issues here but i suppose you know i made a decision not to you know i i, I started to talk to our other colleagues about it mm. in my life as a as a teacher only mm. the last five six years or so but um i suppose i made also a conscious decision as i wasn't in a school directly just the um the repercussions of children you know, mm. I'd made the decision to tweet it or write about it. I didn't necessarily need to. But I suppose because I'd made that decision, I didn't necessarily want to deal with the aftermath that teachers have to face with children laughing, processing, you know, yeah. random comments in classrooms. So there's that also that is a big factor for teachers talking about it as well. Mm. Um, and it's it's a tricky subject and there's the safeguarding of, you know, if I yeah. have come out respect, how does that then ripple across the institution and organisation? Does that issue also? Um, it, yeah, I found I at the time I was I was in a school and I found that I had some quiet, you know, conversations because I tweeted and talked, I'd done a talk on it. And I had some quiet conversations with, you know, my um, my governors who were deeply supportive in general. And then it kind of like, that was it. Then nobody mentioned it. And it was like, okay. But it, it was then, you know, very much known that, that that's the case. So then again, as I said, you get exactly like you, where you get people then come to you over it, which I, I'm more than happy to kind of direct people to the right areas. I did some stuff with the, the Childhood Inquiry for Sexual Abuse. A lot of people got to give evidence to if you, if you want to read for support or have to support people, it's a great great place to start um but it it does feel it, it's such it's such an area of of um potholes isn't it you know and i so you know places where you can fall over so it's like how do you approach it i don't think we've quite got it right yet 
Um, no, and I think for at least for schools, you know, under the safeguarding umbrella, you know, talking mm. about all forms of abuse, you know, the the non-visual too, and etc. Um, under the, you know, not necessarily for adults that have experienced it in the room, but um, for, for for protecting our children is the the first approach, I suppose. Yeah. But um, confident, you know, designated safeguard and leads people that are ready to talk about these delicate topics. You know, they have to be an expert in lots of areas that they may have not have experienced directly themselves. And, are, you know, and that's a challenging thing, gig to lead. Um, and mm. then how do you present that and prepare people in advance if there is someone in the room who's not quite ready to deal with that? Mm. Um, I, I actually haven't thought about it in greater depth about how you would do that. So maybe that's something we could put our heads together and think about something yeah. for people listening um, is how do you best approach this? Um, and, to and, take and care what... of your teachers. You know, I think our, our safeguarding procedures for children are quite very well thought out. But I don't think we do think very much about, you know, the, the well-being yeah, and of the mental health of the Yeah, I think you and I will be surprised, and I don't know what if we could ever, ever find the data, but I'm, I'm confident there will be an, well, yeah. a, a large number of educators out there who are survivors, uh, mm. who have not yet gone through the process, whether they want to or are ready to or not. Mm. Um, I, I, I guess... In the interest of teacher well-being and looking after your employees, I guess schools there and DSLs have a responsibility to look after the mental health of their employees, and you know yeah. anything and everything from bereavement to paying your salaries and pensions, but also including your historical context. Um, I think for us, for for teachers, there's 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 kind of a you're right. They have a, a responsibility well-being. We have we have everything, don't we? We have you know well-being for you know, mental health, we have well-being for, you know, menopause policies, we have all kinds in that. But, you know, very, I've never seen a policy that, you know, is how do you deal with, you know, your teachers, if any of them are victims of any form of abuse, and how do you deal with them in safeguarding, in, you know, yeah, to help support we'll have, we'll have procedures for disclosure, but I guess within the workplace, I'm sure one or two schools may have a procedure and policy mm. in place. But yeah, if your own employees... You, you know, you've got your whistleblowing policies, but I guess from a safeguarding perspective. Uh, yeah, and I think sometimes I wonder whether they need that extra support. Because I don't know about you, but I did find it quite... It, I found safeguarding training, specifically when we get to abuse, I find it tough. You know, um, and I think I find it tough because you're always kind of... Especially because I was, you know, very, very young and went through court very young that I continuously look at it and think, oh, I, that's, that'd be me then. You know, <laughs> so it's it's like, it, it, it can be quite hard, I think, um, to go through that. And then if you get children disclosing, which I've had, then that's quite difficult as well to manage. Uh, you know, I can do the process and the procedure and, uh, you know, uh, and then I'm probably, I feel, one of those teachers who report anything that moves. But I feel like when you come to deal with it, <laughs> personally it can take it out of me you know because yeah, obviously and, and you reflect that, you know, back on where you are yeah and there's that counseling that's required and you know being able to have to talk through so again there's a capacity issue there's a training issue there's you know mm. how does the school initiate that you know all schools have a, a duty of care for the people they employ so they should have hr processes in place mm. um and 
it then blurs into does it affect people's uh, performance in their duties? Mm. And I'm sure there's a few horror stories out there where when people go through certain processes or disclosures, yeah. the school then changes their stance. So there's a mm. whole range of uh, things. Did you... I mean, this feels yet again like, you know, telling teachers you've got a million and one other things to do and I don't really want to do that. But, you know, there are, you know, you can highlight really easily places to go to, to talk to, like Survivors UK or, you know, like the the Centre for... Um, uh, the Centre National Association for People Abused in Childhood is one, and they have a helpline. There's loads of places you can go to that, that do offer quite structured support that that will help you go through that process. But obviously, like you, you know, if you've not gone through court, then you have to almost, if you want to do something about it, then you have to go through the court process in adulthood, you know, and that can, can quite have an impact. So there are things I think we need to be maybe more aware about, you know, for this, especially mm -hmm. as I think our society's view is very much changing in the, you know, the, um, the way that we view sexual abuse or the way that we tackle it. I know it's very different than when I was younger. You know, I don't think anybody wanted to talk to me when I was younger. Nowadays, mm -hmm. I think it's much more um, in the public eye with the Me Too movement and with with um, a lot of high profile court cases. You mm -hmm. know, do you feel like it's changed? Do you know, do you think there's a lot of change going on there in how it's, in, do you think we're getting better at it? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, it's, again, it's such a sensitive topic and it's not something you would talk about every day. You know, last time I talked about this was probably six months or a year ago. Um, mm. So it's a, a, a little and often, but, you know, if you just look back to the when uh, Ofsted published their report, which was only last summer, mm. and that was a catalogue of disclosures and, and dangers and risks taking place across all our schools, and, and this was just children. So... Mm this generation of children that are being discussed today what what point do they go through the journeys we've been on the processing and then the the talking about it and raising the awareness it's it's that it goes back to the kind of how we're a bit better at talking about diversity now whereas a decade ago uh, we weren't Everyone. or you know teacher mental health you know you struggle to find any research on teacher mental health 10 plus years ago and it's linked to good performance now mm. it's in abundance um so i guess this, i mean this if you the topic we've got a long way to go i still believe i think it is a long way to go and i think if you look at it it's like you know you took um 32 years i took 36 so it's not exactly as if it's a slow you know a quick process for turnaround you know and that was even with me being in court so i think it's kind of it takes a long time. Did you find from an experience of, of talking out about it in public, did you find, I, I remember, I think we discussed it at the time, did you find it really nervous doing that? Because I, I, I think there's an instinctive fear about it, isn't there? When you first Oh, yeah, I think talking. more than anything, it's, um, you know, the Survivors UK data says it takes 26 years on average for a man to speak up. Mm. Um and I guess that's the, the numbers of people reports they receive. That's how they've got that figure. So it's not a be all and end all for everybody's experiences. But um, it is, it's a real challenge. It's such a complicated topic, Caroline, isn't it? That it's really hard to... Um... It's hard to articulate it. And I'm trying to be, I, I'm trying to get us to try and articulate this because it's just us <laughs> two. But I think 
when I first when I first started talking, I had this instinctive worry. I don't know about you about one what other people would think of me. I don't it, know why it, I was worried it, about it's that. It's that one the most, but I think it goes back to your own resilience and your own confidence. You know, yeah. I was because of my experience at thirteen. I was so shy as a child from there on. Plus, mm. I went to seven state schools. Mm. Um, so I never really had time for friendships. I was always moving somewhere else. So I was always on the back foot of mm. making new friends and what have you. And as a result, my exams weren't very good. Mm. Um, so uh, I got off to a hard start, I suppose, uh, through my secondary school experiences. So that made me a shy person. Then going to university, still shy. Um, mm. But slowly that environment has to drag it out of you in some way and you you develop a degree of, of confidence but you know my early 20s I, I was very a quiet kept to myself uh, kind of person and this is in a period long before social media where you could get website uh, resources or hear other people's stories on Instagram mm. um, so the world's a bit different for us all now but uh, teaching without question helped me become more confident because I was speaking in front of children every day, practicing mm. how to speak, how to position my body, to talk to parents, talk to staff publicly in assemblies or whole school mm. CPD. So teaching for me, I guess, saved me in terms of becoming more confident. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's that taboo you mentioned that having that confidence to be able to talk and deal with, well, we all we all deep down do sometimes care about what other people think. And as we get a yeah. bit older and wiser, we care less often and uh, we're happy to work, wear the clothes we want or be ourselves, or, 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 you know, I love God and you don't, well, so let's celebrate whatever you prefer. Um, it, yeah, that's a tough one, but I think the taboo and how people respond or might view you is sometimes a big mental block. Yeah, I feel like I struggled with that one. I felt like I was worried that everybody would suddenly view me very differently. Like I'd be the girl who was the, you know, the the child abuse survivor and that would be it. Like it'd be like that, I'd be the tag. And then I'd have no other personality and that everything about me would just be tagged with that. And mm-hmm. actually, the truth is, is that it's really not like that. Um, not at all, you know. So I, I think sometimes I think it takes people a bit on the back foot. But um, I don't think that actually by the time I did start talking about it, the 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 freedom of that felt like I could be authentically me because I, I always felt like I was going to be caught out at any moment. Do you ever have that? Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm going to get caught out about this. No, you know, I, like, I don't have like... that feeling. But I, I, what, what I love the most about the whole process, uh, I've got nothing else to lie about. I've ever, yeah. That's me. This is me. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and that's it. And I can... Yeah, for me, it's a big, deep one that I now can be me truly without. Yeah, I think that's kind of exactly where I was getting at with that. And we all go, you know, how are you? And we don't, you know, we don't, we don't very rarely have time to develop meaningful relationships with people. But when we, Mm. you know, think of our best friends and the how are you, and you know people's inner psyche and how they, what makes them tick, and etc. So that's the last part of me. And yeah. you can get it, a, a, a member of the public, you can read it on my site. But the people around me, my friends and my family, this was the last part of who I really was yeah. in my inner circle. And, and that's just made me a much more rounded person, I think. I, I think I think exactly the same. I think that's a, a great way to round it. You know, um, I, I felt that 
once I'd I'd gone through with that, my inner circle was quite the same that I felt like uh, I could be very much authentically me from then on. And yeah, then, you know, I, I didn't have to um, I think feel like I was worried. Yeah, that's yeah. the critical part, I think. You know, being able to then move on with your life, you mm. know, people around you that love you the most and know you most, um, that was it. For that, that's, that, that's the critical moment. I, I guess the wider circle is your day job, your friendships, your conversations mm. with strangers. That's the ripple effect that happens after and the influence yeah. that you can make. You know, like you and I who are survivors, you can talk about it. We can try and change the system. We can influence documents policies procedures in schools mm. uh, and that's where you know when we find a few others alongside us collectively we can you know start uh, that'd be nice change. i would like that you know if there's teachers out there who are further in this process please you know get in touch there's 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 not very many of us and to be honest you know if you're in the position you don't have to be but if you're in the position where you can um, and you feel that you have the strength to do that, then then uh, honestly, it's it's not as frightening as it initially seems. And I'd, I'd encourage you. It does. Get, it's a deep sense of catharticness, I'd say for me. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll round you round about here, Ross. Thank you for that conversation. Yeah. I know it's deeply tough, and I know both of us were umming and ahhing about it. So um, <laughs> thanks for having it with me. Um, so I'm um, just before I round up, what are you going to spend your Sunday doing now? Now I've stolen an hour and a half from you. Me? Uh, well, dog walk is always in the agenda. Uh, uh, I'm now living in West Yorkshire, and the sun is out, and I'm actually looking out my window. I can't see a cloud in the sky, so that looks promising. Oh, nice. um, yesterday I spent the day in the garden building a, a, a bit of pavement and uh, pottering around. I think I'm going to do exactly the same. Uh, I've got a blog to just finish. So I'm going to try and do that immediately now. And then I'll have the rest of the day to myself. Oh, enjoy. So- I think I'm going to do the same. I'm going to be walking my odd sock dog and and basically um just enjoying a bit of the sunshine it looks like we're going to get a good one so thank you so much um um and if you do have um if you are are a victim or you're concerned in any way please do look up some of the the um places that you can get support from the nspcc the national association for people abused in childhood um or you can go to any of the charities like survivor uk and and get in touch with them um and thank you so much for listening um this has been um teach talk radio and i'm going to round up thank you so much ross thanks caroline all the best everyone thank you you too bye 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 You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.